Loving Father in heaven, we come before thee this morning hour. Where can we go when thou hast the words of eternal life? And Lord, we believe that thy word is life-giving. It is the power of God unto salvation, and therefore we are not ashamed. And we pray that as we look into your word, that your Holy Spirit will be our teacher, and you'd give um, unction from above to the messenger, and open the hearts of all that are within hearing distance, whether here in this facility or in their homes. We pray that you'd be with each and every one of us, and especially those that are shut in, the sick, be thou their comfort and strength. We ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. <clears throat> with the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the book of Romans, to a very familiar chapter, but perhaps one of the most <clears throat> controversial chapters or widely debated chapters throughout history, and that is the book of Romans chapter 7. The book of Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, <clears throat> my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. What then, that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, 
But I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do allow, for that which I do, I allow not. For that I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I serve myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Next chapter. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I've read up to including verse 2 of chapter 8. May the Lord bless the reading of the word. Let us all bow before the Lord in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, as we bow before thee now as an assembled group of believers and those that are friends of the truth, those that would desire to hear thy word, dear Father, we pray that it would have its effect. That's the intent, the, the sole, the overriding purpose that we are here this morning, to hear the truth, dear Father, to have it reveal what is in our hearts, to expose our lives, Dear Father, and this morning the topic we have before us is not a, a pleasant one. It's not something that we like to dwell on, the topic of sin and the topic of the dominion of sin. Dear Father, and so many in this world don't want to acknowledge that ever-present reality. But dear Father, to Thee it is glaringly obvious. And Thy word, as we read it, as we would draw near to Thee, it becomes glaringly obvious, too, in our lives as sin is exposed, as we are exposed for the wretched creatures we are apart from Thee. Dear Father, we're so thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ that we've also read about this morning, the freedom that is in Jesus Christ, the freedom that we can proclaim that no uh, uh, device of man can hinder, no restrictions, no laws, nothing can hold back the glorious truth of the freedom in Jesus Christ. Dear Father, we pray that that would also be proclaimed this morning clearly within our hearts that it would ring, that it wouldn't 
be thwarted by dull ears, by inattentiveness, by thoughts of other things that would distract us from that truth, dear Father, that truth that needs to begin with the reality of sin. Dear Father, we pray this morning that that word, the, the complete gospel of Jesus Christ would be proclaimed everywhere this Lord's Day in all the many countries of this world uh, in many different circumstances and yet there is the commonality, the realities of the law and of sin and the reality of Jesus Christ. Dear Father, we pray that that message would go out, that the, the preachers of it would not be hindered either in their own hearts and minds and thoughts or in the speaking of it or in the reception of it. Dear Father, we pray for those that uh, this morning could not gather with us physically in this building, those that are hindered by uh, illness, dear Father, those that are hindered by disease, by old age, by the circumstances of this virus that our society is experiencing. Dear Father, we pray for them. We pray for healing for those that are sick. Pray for those that are facing upcoming surgeries, as we're mindful of Harry and his surgery. We pray for those that have questions about their health and, and what uh, decisions they need to make. Dear Father, help them to see the big picture as we pray this for all of us. Help them to see the reality of their lives and, and what they need to, the perspective they need to maintain of offering up their lives as a living sacrifice, even as they make these decisions about their flesh and blood. Dear Father, we thank Thee for the freedom we continue to have in this country, and we pray for the government. We, we lift hands, dear Father, to thee to plead for them, to intercede for them, because we know many times in this present day the decisions that are made or the, the agendas that are promoted in government are not according to thy word. And dear Father, we don't pray in opposition to the, to the human figures that are in government. We pray to support them, dear Father, and to uphold them. And we pray in submission to them according to thy word. Dear Father, we pray for the persecuted, those that are suffering this day for thy name's sake, those that are being made more and more conformable in difficult circumstances to thee through persecution as they proclaim thy word. Be with them, dear Father, and, and even those that may be in dungeons of despair, lift them up. Dear Father, we pray for the brother that is to proclaim this word this morning. We asked for clarity for his mind and for his speech for boldness we ask for his needs to be met so that he could be a servant of thee the living god dear father we pray all these things on the basis of what jesus has done on the basis of, of a man who was a man just like us flesh and blood who lived two thousand years ago and yet was the only begotten son of god the anointed one the messiah who came and saved us from a horrible, horrible fate. We thank thee for these things. We pray them in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have before us, as mentioned, a very debated chapter in the world probably the, the most debated um, in history. Um, and the real question here is, is that what our main focus is going to be today? The debate is, is Paul talking about 
a believer or unregenerate person. I think that's not the, the main thrust of this chapter. That is not the main thrust, whether it's a believer, an unbeliever, and then whoever wins the, believes that it's, a, it's a, an unbeliever wins the debate, and therefore I'm right. That's not the purpose of this chapter. So I don't want to focus a lot on that topic, although I believe it, it's, an un, it's, a, it's an unregenerate person, but we're not going to focus on that that much. And, but I will we'll give you some indications of why I believe it's an unregenerate person. It's like the old saying goes that, you know, a text without context is pretext for a proof text or to make it mean whatever you want it to mean. And so what we need to do is look at what is the context of this chapter? Where is it in Paul's letter to the Romans? You know, I was just thinking of this song um, this morning on the Jericho Road. There's room for just two, just Jesus and you. The Jericho Road was a road where Bartimaeus begged and sought Jesus to heal him. It was also a very dangerous road where we know about the Good Samaritan. But perhaps the most significant road in the scriptures is the Romans' road. The Romans' road, the way that Paul gave a road map for salvation, where he talked about the ancient history of unregenerate man to the point where um, Moses came and brought in the law and to the point where Christ came in and brought in the spirit full of grace and truth. And how one reaches from that man of sin to a man that's been justified and approved and accepted of God through his grace and righteousness. Romans chapter 7 is nestled between Romans 6 and Romans 8. But perhaps the pivotal point of Romans is taken in, in the book of same book in, in chapter 5, where he talks about being justified by faith. Therefore, having, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But he ends chapter 5 with two verses where he says, Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign or rule through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. This battle between sin and righteousness between the flesh and the spirit was introduced right here. And you say, well, why? Why did Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? He was sent by God to the Gentiles. But he spent so much time in the law because he loved, he loved the Jewish people. And being a preacher to the Gentiles, he received a lot of opposition from the Jews that wanted to hinder the gospel. And so if you go through the book of Romans, you will see Paul as if he's having a discussion with someone. He's always asking questions. You're saying, well, who's he asking these questions to? 
Well, these questions probably came from some of his detractors, the ones that wanted to, to, to minimize his, uh, or, or, or be antagonists to the gospel. So when he's writing his letter to the Romans, he may be recalling these questions and saying, well, so it says here, um, let me give you an example. Romans chapter 3. He just finished talking about the, 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 the ancient world in Romans 1 where everyone has done their own thing. They, they've been given over to God for, because of their reprobate minds and so forth. Romans chapter 2 says you're going to be judged. You're going to be judged whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. You'll be judged for your sin. Whether you have the law or whether you don't have the law, you'll be judged. If you have the law, you'll be judged according to your law. If you have your conscience, you'll be judged according to the conscience. And then chapter 3, he opens up uh, with a question. What advantage then has the Jew? What profit does the Jew have over the Gentile? He says, much every way. He's been given the oracles of God. He's been given the word of God. And because he's been given the word of God, the law... He's responsible for it. He's accountable for the law, for responding to that law. And then in the next chapter, he says, what then shall we say then about Abraham, our father, pertaining to the flesh, has found? He's asking a question. And every time he asks a question, he says, let me answer that question for you. So he's asking these questions rhetorically. And he's answering these questions because these questions are going through the minds of the readers. These questions are going through the minds of those that he spoke with. So, in chapter 5, he already explains, after going through Romans chapter 3 and saying, everyone has sinned, there is no, none good, no, not one, if you think there is one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's, he's established that in Romans chapter 3. And why is that important? Because there are many that think they haven't sinned. Many think that they haven't sinned. Why? Because they don't have a law. At least they think they don't have a law. But Paul already beat them to it in Romans chapter 2 and says, you don't have a law, you do have a law. It's your conscience. God has given you a conscience. And this conscience is able to excuse you from wrongdoing or accuse you of wrongdoing but as you have learned this law within yourself whether you know there's this moral awareness that God has given every single human being on this earth a moral awareness even the atheist will tell you that's wrong what he's done he's that's wrong and then when you push him a bit further you say well what makes it wrong well it's just not right well what makes it not right there has to be a law. There has to be some kind of a law that says it's wrong. And we have this law within ourselves. Even before being exposed to the gospel, to the, to the Bible, there's this inner, inner moral compass that God has given to every one of us. And so one thing we have to be very clear, when Paul the Apostle uses the term law in Romans 7... Romans 5, 6, and whatever, and Romans 8, he uses the law in maybe three different ways. It's not just the law of Moses, right? It's, the law of Moses came in about 1400, whatever it was, BC. 
But before that, you mean just because there was no law of Moses, there was no sin? The Apostle Paul says, for where there is no law, there is no sin. So he cannot be talking about just the law of Moses. He's also talking about the law, the commands that God gave mankind from the get-go, from the very beginning. And what was the first law or command that God gave mankind? Thou shalt not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The one command. The one command was a law that God gave man, Adam, that's his name, Adam, man, the same word in Hebrew. They could not keep. They could not keep. That one law, they had everything. They had paradise. They had peace, serenity, as we talked about on Wednesday night, Bible study. They had calmness. They had provision. They had food. They had their company. They had the animals to dominate. And yet they couldn't keep that one law. And then along came the fall. After the fall. That was the fall. When they broke that law, it, it brought forth death. Both spiritual separation from God, from that sweet fellowship and communion with God and eventually it brought forth physical death so when the bible talks about the law especially in the books the pauline epistles he could mean two or three different things it could be the mosaic law it could be the, the law of your conscience or it could be a law of general principles of how things operate as you can see you'll see in romans chapter 7 where it says the law of my in my members right wrestled against the law of my mind. There are different ways that word law is, is, is uh, understood in his epistles. And so when he's already declared that man is, is sinful, there's none righteous, and we are thankful that Jesus Christ, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. And his blood is the propitiation for our sins, the sacrificial atonement for our sins, what draws us back to God, what brings us into acceptance with God as long as we believe in that blood. Romans 5. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access by faith into this grace, and we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation workers faith, uh, workers uh, patience and patience, experience and experience hope, and hope makes us not ashamed, not disappointed in any way, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. He has summed up salvation here. He has summed up forgiveness through the blood of Christ, through the faith in his blood, and then by the Holy Spirit, the sanctification that would follow as the Holy Spirit empowers us and gives us that, the ability to resist sin. And then in chapter um, 6, he goes on and says, just because grace abounds, shall we continue in sin? Rhetorical question again. Answer it for yourself, he's saying. Think about it. Just because God is so gracious, does that mean he allows us to continue in sin? Or that we would even want to continue in sin? And he uses very strong terms. He says, God forbid, never. That could never happen. That should never happen. 
God, we should not presume on the grace of God. We should not take it for granted. If we do, we've forgotten why we were saved in the first place. If we take sin for granted, we forget why we were saved in the first place. Peter says that if you don't do these things in 2 Peter 1, then you, you, have, you have forgotten that you were purged by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when we, as believers, as born-again Christians, as those that have been crucified with Christ in Romans chapter 6, we've been buried with Christ, and we've been raised with Christ unto a newness of life, we are raised to serve him and to live as Christ lived, to walk as Christ walked, as the apostle John says in his epistles. And he's given us all the, the, the um, resources to do that. He's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, as, as Peter says. And so when a believer says, you know, oh, I'm a victim, I don't have the power to do this, da-da-da-da-da-da, and he's going on, he says, Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, put it to your account, reckon, regard this, that you have now been delivered from the bondage of sin. You are no longer serving sin. Sin shall have no dominion over you. In chapter 6 it says. He says, you know, what, what, what a value was it to you? Yet where you used to serve, I speak after the manner of men in the flesh. For you have yielded your members as servants to uncleanness, to iniquity, unto iniquity. And even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness, unto holiness. For when ye were servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. You couldn't, you couldn't do righteous things. What fruit then had ye in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end thereof of those things is death. And when he's speaking about death here, for sure he's speaking about spiritual death. But it could happen. It could be physical death too, as we saw with Ananias and Sapphira when they lie to the Holy Spirit. And he says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He ends chapter 6, so you're now a believer. Reckon yourself to be dead to sin. You have the power, you have the abilities, you have the resources from God. Reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. But then in chapter 7, he, he seems to step back a bit. And he says, Know ye, brethren... For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound to the law, by the law to her husband as long as he liveth. But if, she, if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another. Now, Paul is not trying to give a dissertation on marriage, on, on divorce and remarriage. This is, this is not the platform he's using. He's giving an example. He's giving an example or a, a picture of 
how the law interacted with the human uh, nature and righteousness that he tried to attain before God. And he got himself in, Paul got himself very unpopular with the Jews, the Jewish believers even. If you go back to chapter 4, In verse, um, when, 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 when Paul is, is, is arguing, and I'm not, when I say arguing, he's not having an argument. It's, it's just a, a, a theological discussion. When he's arguing against um, justification by the law, he's saying, even as David also um, described in the, the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputed righteousness without works, saying, blessed are, the, are they whose sins are forgiven and those whose sins are covered. In, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness upon the circumcision only, upon the Jews, or upon the Gentiles also, the uncircumcision? For we say that the faith was reckoned to Abraham. How then was it reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? He's trying to make him see that Abraham, the father of the Jews, the father of faith, was blessed before he was even circumcised. Physical circumcision doesn't justify you before God. That's what he's trying to say. But it was, it was a sign of the covenant. He says, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision he received this blessedness. And he received the sign of circumcision as a sign of righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised. It was a sign of his faith, not his works. Now, faith works. Faith, faith should work. James says it, right? James the Apostle says, faith without works is dead. But it is faith in God that motivates the works, and the works are the fruit of faith. If you don't have fruit, you don't have faith. Basically what it boils down to. Jesus said of the disciples, You have not chosen me, I have chosen you, and have ordained you that you should bring forth much fruit. And he said, um, he, he went on to argue through, through the book of uh, Romans chapter 4 that man is justified by faith. And he was being now scrutinized by the Jews. What are you trying to say? Are you trying to say that we get rid of the law? Let's get rid of the law? Is that what you're saying, Paul? And he was slanderously accused of that. He even says that. I've been slanderously accused of this, that Paul is trying to get rid of the law. But let's go to Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15. This is before Paul even shows up to Jerusalem. Okay, Acts chapter 15. Or maybe, maybe not. I don't, I don't think Paul was here at this time, but um, Acts chapter 15, they had this argument, this, uh, this, this controversy, if you will. In Antioch, uh, they had this issue with, do you have to keep the law and be circumcised or not? And they escalated this to the elders in, F in uh, Jerusalem. 
And there arose a certain sect of Pharisees, verse 5 of chapter 15, which believed, saying that it was needful to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Flat out, explicit. Jewish believers says you have to be circumcised and you've got to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders came together for to consider this matter. And when there had been much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto their men and brethren, Ye know how that a good while ago God made choice among us. God made the decision. He made the decree, if you will, that the Gentiles by the mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost, even as unto us, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why tempt ye God? Listen to what he says. Why do you tempt God and try to put upon them a yoke around their necks, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Now, this makes a lot of sense when we go into what he just said here when we go into Romans chapter 7, when Paul was saying something here about um, the law. What Paul was arguing in Romans chapter 7 is, just very plainly, you cannot attain righteousness through the law. And mind you, if you read through the, the whole chapter of Romans chapter 7, there is, I don't think there's one mention of the Holy Spirit. Not yet. That comes in the next chapter. There's not one mention of the Holy Spirit. That is one clue that he's not talking to believers. But he addresses them as brethren. Know ye not brethren that know the law. He's trying to explain to the Jews what purpose was there the law. It wasn't meant to regenerate. It was meant for something else. And he says... Therefore, my brethren, ye also are become, verse 4 of chapter 7, you also are become, become dead to the law. So he's saying, just as the husband cannot, the, the wife cannot get remarried unless the husband dies, when the husband dies, the wife can get remarried. Therefore, brethren, ye are also become dead to the law. As if the law no more has, is bound you to this old um, law. The law of Moses. This is where a little bit of a, what do you call it, differences come in understanding. Some believe what was bound before. The old man was bound, and until the old man died, you could not marry that old, that old man to Christ. But others interpret this as, until the grace came by Jesus Christ, you were under the law. And then when grace came, the law became sort of dead to you. But that doesn't even make sense either because the law is good and holy. The main point here is that when Christ came full of grace and truth and the mechanism or the path for justification before God was not in fulfilling every single law and therefore you're acceptable to God, because James says, you break one law, you're guilty of all. But when you believed in Jesus Christ, who did fulfill the law, who came, as it says in Matthew 5, that he didn't come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill it. And he fulfilled it in every single way. And he even fulfilled it that 
when he took upon himself the sin of the world, he had to die. The soul that sins shall die. Now, Jesus himself didn't sin, but he took our sins and became that sacrifice for us. And in doing so, if you will, he was that second Adam by which would bring life. The first Adam brought death. The second Adam brought life through his crucifixion. And he says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also have become dead to the law by the body of Christ, there we go, on the cross, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. There it is, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, and we should serve in newness of spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. You can read in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 how the letter killeth. It actually will only condemn us to death. Why? Because we can't keep it. Because we cannot keep it without who? Jesus Christ, without the Holy Spirit. Let me uh, read to you something from Hebrews. I'm fairly passionate about this because there have been those that have, sadly, that we even know, that have retro, retrogressed and accepted some other doctrines about the purpose of of Christ and the purpose of the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 8, Paul, whoever the writer of Hebrews is, I'm not sure, but let's say it's Paul for now. Um, it's not conclusive. He's, he's, he's trying to, throughout the book of Hebrews, he's trying to see why Christ is better than Moses. Why the new tabernacle is better than the old. Why the spirit is better than the flesh, if you will. And he says the Old Testament, everything that was in the law of Moses, that was just there as a shadow, a foreshadow of things to come. It was just a picture of what was really going to happen. And John the Baptist knew that. Finally, finally, when Jesus came along the Jordan, he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He said in Romans chapter 9 and 10, all these things, all the ordinances and services in his sanctuary were just a shadow. It's not going to save you. And the Old Testament will be done away with. Romans, in Hebrews chapter 8 he says, For if the first covenant, verse 7, had been found faultless, if the first covenant was faultless, then should no place have been sought for a second. If the first covenant wasn't perfect, but God made that covenant, why wouldn't it be perfect? Why wouldn't the covenant of Moses be perfect? God, God designed it. God gave it to Moses, as it says, in the, in, through, the, through, through the hands of a mediator, through angels. He gave it to Moses. Why wouldn't it be perfect? This is why. For finding fault with the people, with them. 
He said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. God knew. When he gave them the law, they could not keep it. God knew they would not keep it. And he had already planned a second covenant way back when. So what was the purpose of the first law? What was the purpose of the law of Moses? Go to Galatians chapter 4. He says the law was a schoolmaster to bring you unto Christ. The law was a schoolmaster to show you how filthy, how sinful, how uh, full of sin we are. And when you say you can do it yourself, he lets you in the corner and says, go ahead, do it yourself. See where you end up. I brought this uh, example up before. Remember, maybe you don't, you, you tell your child, let me tie your shoes up for you. He says, no, I want to do it. I'll do it myself. And they try and they try and they try and they try and they can't. And then they cry and then mummy and daddy or, or daddy have to come and do just the shoelace up. Because there's something in man that is very proud, very full of pride, wants, it, wants to show how good he is, show that he's approved and accepted. I'm not blaming kids for wanting to do it themselves. They need to grow. But that's just a very uh, trifled example, if you will. But that's what mankind wants to do. God wants to give them something to cleanse their life, something to bring them back to full restoration with him. And man said, no, I don't want it. I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Watch me. And so guess what happens? They go on, they stumble, they fall. They go on, they stumble, they fall, they spiral down. They spiral down. Until, finally, they become so broken, their, mess, their life is so messed up, they've got to cry out for help. Like someone that wants to go out onto the oceans by themselves and, and then finally they hit shipwreck or a storm and they capsize and, and then it's SOS. This is what Paul is trying to picture in Romans chapter 7. Let's follow that, that, that thought now. It says, For when we were in the flesh, verse 5, the motions of sins which were in the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. When he's saying when we were in the flesh, we're still in the flesh. We're still flesh and blood. That's not what he's talking about. When we were walking carnally, when we were walking after the affections of the flesh, sin was moving in us. Sin was, was swirling in us. That we should serve motions of, of sins were, were by the Lord did, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in the newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Why? Because the oldness of the letter did not give us life. It made us go further and further south. 
We're going further and further away from God. And, and then he says, what shall we say then? Did the Lord do this? Did the Lord do this? Make me go further and further south? Make me further and further away from God? He said, never. God forbid, never. The Lord did not do that. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. I would have not recognised sin if there was no law. And that's what happens in the world today. When people have no law, there's no knowledge of sin to them. They have an immoral compass, but it's, it's been uh, 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 cauterised, if you will, singed. They're, 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 nu- they're dumb, they're numb. To them, it's not a big deal. Today, people say, oh, what's the big deal about abortion? Yeah? What's the big deal about abortion? It's taking a human life. It's murder, according to the word of God. What's the big deal? And, and you, can, you can take that to the nth degree, what they do in that, in that area. But I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, sin take, is an opportunist. Sin sees the law, sin sees your weakness, and sin is taking advantage of this, this imbalance, if you will, takes, a, uh, takes advantage of this and, and made me do all kinds of lustful, lascivious things, concupiscence. So how does that, how did it do that? How does it do that? It goes back to the garden. When God says, don't eat of this fruit, guess what? I'm going to eat of that fruit. Human nature. And how that happened in Adam and Eve, we talked about this on Wednesday. It's a mystery. When they really, they had not sinned yet. But rationale in their mind, right? What if this? What if that? What? Maybe that's going to, they had not yet sinned. The temptation's there. Just like James 1 says, there's temptation, and no man should say that when they're tempted, they're tempted of God. But this, 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 this mulling of thoughts and things, wouldn't it be good if I, God said you'd be like God's? You know, the serpent said, you shall be like God. Like, hey, maybe, maybe we should try it. Maybe God doesn't see us. And they take of it, and their mind is opened. They recognize they are sinful. They recognize that they have transgressed the living God. And so when in, in our human nature there's a sign that says don't touch, guess what? That's exactly what we do. That's exactly what our children do. I remember uh, a long time ago there was this sign that says wet paint. It was a cartoon. Wet paint. The person puts his finger on the pole, ah, it's not wet. So he yanks the side off, guess what? A bucket of paint falls on his head. That's comical. But that's what the world does. They see a sign, they're so curious, they, they've got to experience that. After all, what's life if you don't experience it? Experiment. And you wonder why, why would, why would someone that's been raised 
in a Christian home that has been taught the word of God, that has been shown the, 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 the wrongs and the errors of those that were past. That was what this lesson was all about on Wednesday, and we're continuing that. How, how do we learn from, from the errors of the past, from, from the wrongs of those that were, went before us? Do we, do we think we're better? Do we think we're smarter? Do we think that we're wiser? Do we think, oh, it happened to him, it's not going to happen to me? Curiosity can be a very helpful thing, but it could be a very destructive thing too. We want to experiment. And as the song goes, we heard on Wednesday, sin will take you further than you would want to go. And it's going to make you stay longer than you want to stay. And people have destroyed themselves through sin because they don't believe in sin. They think it's just pleasure. They'll get out of it. They've seen someone else take cocaine off the streets and they had a high and a buzz. They went and did theirs. They got cracked cocaine. They died. Was it worth it? So sin is stirred up by the law. We challenge the law. Our pride challenges the law. Our pride challenges the law of God and it makes us want to do that which is wreaks all kind of concupiscence and lasciviousness within us. And he says, And the commandment which I was ordained to life I found to be unto death. I was in Zambia three years ago. And Dennis said, Doug, I want you to meet this Australian. He's a, he's a real character, this, this Australian. He came from Australia. He was looking for excitement. He's looking for uh, a non-mundane life. He, he, went, he was a, a, a park, park a warden. He was there driving off poachers and looking at all the beautiful God's creation and animals and lions and you name it. And then he settled down in, in Africa, started a business exporting through his Cessna plane. And, uh, you know, he thought he had it all. This is a life. I went to his uh, airstrip. To his, he's got a hangar and a, some apartment above the hangar. And, and uh, we had a nice chat, nice guy. He said, Doug, uh, I just want to let you know Steve's dead. I said, what? So what happened? Well, he, he got into drugs and it was messing up his family. It was, his, his wife left him. He became very depressed and he basically took his own life. I mean, this is just one. This is just one of millions of similar stories in this world. The gospel's there not to kill our joy. The, the law is not there to kill our joy, but our joy will be killed if we don't accept the provided way of escape from that life. It's a gospel of life. It's, a, it's the law of the spirit of life that he's offering us. And it doesn't have to happen in a hangar in, in Zambia. It can happen in your own home 
when you continue down that path thinking that life is meant to be lived and enjoyed, but you completely reject the law of God. But you don't stop at the law of God. You pursue it until you find the law of the spirit of life, the gospel, and everything entailed with the gospel, the Holy Spirit coming into our lives, giving us that joy, giving us that peace, giving us that assurance, the hope that is to come. Romans chapter 8, for we are saved by hope, and if hope is seen, is no longer hope. God has given us all that pertains to life and godliness, and he's giving us an escape from sin. He says, the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. It condemned me. It condemned me so much. And he was only forced, if he was truthful with himself, he was only forced then to cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? My dear friend outside of Christ, maybe you haven't come to the Pauline experience yet. Maybe you're still waiting for it. You're not guaranteed. You don't have to die in the streets because of drugs or alcohol. Anything can happen. God is offering you a way out. A way out of the, the deep uh, cry of your heart. It's what it is. It's a cry of the heart. It is not following some legalistic letter. It is not coming to church once, or tw uh, now, once, a, once a week now. It is not just singing the right hymns. It is not just giving your five-minute prayer at night. It's a cry of the heart unto the living God for a relationship with him to give you his Holy Spirit, as Jesus said. How much will the Father not give you the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? And then you won't find life mundane, purposeless. You won't want to dabble in sin because you know you have this law of the Spirit of life. He says, in, this is where the, the, the debate comes in, verse 19 of chapter 7. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I do, I would not, that I do. I, the good that I want to do, I cannot do. And the bad that I don't want to do, I have to do. That doesn't tell me that that's a Christian. You may say that I don't have the power. Paul says in chapter 6, you do have the power. See, that contradicts chapter 6. If you say I don't have the power, you're playing victim. You do have the power. Reckon yourself to be dead unto sin. But if you don't avail yourself of the power, if you, if you love sin more, because you're just thinking of the temporal, the now, here and now, it's going to feel good, taste good, I'm going to do it. Then you'll fail. 
And that's possible for a Christian. He's talking here about an unbeliever. But I want to make it very clear that some people believe that Christians no longer sin. Once, they, once they're born again, they, they, they're of the divine nature. How can they sin? Just keep on reading the Bible. Read John. If any man said that he doesn't sin, he's a liar. He's talking to believers, to children, little children. In chapter 2 of 1 John, he says, Little children, do not sin. But if you do sin, you know you've got a, an advocate in Jesus Christ the righteous who is a propitiation not only for your sins, but for the sins of the whole world. If we do sin, we have recourse. An unbeliever must sin. A Christian can sin. And we have everything within our power to overcome that sin. That sin will have no more dominion over us. We may slip every now and then. We may, we may succumb to temptation every now and then. But we have the power. We have the resources. That's why we are saved in the church, in the body of Christ. You're not on your own. You're not an island. Not only do you have the word of God, you've got the spirit of God, you've got the children of God, you've got Christ as your head. And we have the ability to say no to sin. But we also have the free choice to say yes to sin. That's, what, that's how much God loves us. He gives us a free choice. But he gives us everything to counter it. So having, when I see, but I am um, sold to sin. Right here it says in, in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal and sold to sin. He is a sold slave to sin. That is not the description of a Christian. That contradicts Romans chapter 6. We've been freed from sin. We've been freed from the slavery of sin. But in chapter 7 it said, I am sold. What, what, what's he saying? It could be very well that Paul is saying, he's speaking in a representative way of what he used to be in a flashback. I remember Brother Johnny Zoig who wrote a paper on Romans 7 and he says Paul is actually going in flashback. He's going back to his past and recalling his past. And speaking in the present tense as if he was reenacting it right now. Even, I'm, I was very surprised, even uh, many Calvinistic preachers believe that this was an, uh, an unregenerate man. Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, uh, Tom uh, Greiner, I think his name is. They believe this is, because you cannot argue that this someone that is sold to sin is not a Christian. And someone that has said, oh wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death is not a Christian. But that's not the main point of the passage. The main point of the passage is, do we have the Holy Spirit in our lives? Are we following the Holy Spirit? Are we listening to the Holy Spirit? My friend outside of Christ, do you believe that I'm holding off from giving my life to Christ because I don't know if I can be faithful to the very end? That's another trap. I don't know if I can be faithful to the very end. Well, of course, as an unregenerate person, when you don't have power, you won't be faithful to the very end. But remember that God promised you his Holy Spirit and you can be faithful to the very end. 
We're thinking on the other side of salvation now. But when you're on this side of salvation, when you're in Christ, you have all the resources. As mentioned before, are you the person that's in, in, the, in, the, in the sea from a capsized boat and someone, another boat comes by and throws you a, a lifesaver and you say, no, I'm not going to grab that. I might drop it. Where is your faith? You know where your faith is? Your faith is in you. We talked about that Philippians chapter 3 a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. What are you focusing on? Yourself? Your flesh? The flesh is what got you into trouble in the first place. So Paul is saying, despite being saved by grace, there are those that say you need to still be religious and keep the law. You need to follow this religion as opposed to you need to follow God and his spirit and the gospel which is able to give you freedom from sin. In Romans chapter 8, just caps it off, summarizes, he answers the question in verse uh, that, he, that he posed about, I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind. This wrestling, this, this tug of war. And he says, the answer to that, I no longer have turmoil, I no longer have struggles if I am in the spirit of the life of Christ, the law of the spirit of the life of Christ. I just pray that this will encourage you to realize, yes, we are sinners. We need to call sin, sin. We cannot dub it with any other name. But the good news is that Christ has overcome the world. And because he has overcome the world, we can also overcome the world with him. To him be the glory. One passage, uh, one verse sticks out in my mind from the passage we read this morning, and that is uh, verse 18. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's the purpose of the law, just to show us that. And it could be no other way. The law had to be. And the, life has, the law has to have its effect in everyone who comes to God, to show them that in their flesh dwells no good thing so that they can then live in the Spirit. Pray that that message would resonate in every, uh, everyone's heart and everyone's mind to, to, to today, those that don't know that life in the Spirit, that they would be called to that, to, to, to seek out what it is, and those that know that life in the Spirit, that they would pursue it. Live in the Spirit every day, looking to Jesus, and we will not be beholden to sin and to our flesh. With that, we conclude this morning's sermon and commend you to the Lord's care.